Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Sarah Whirlton. Sarah and I go way back. We were friends in high school, but I I remember you even as a cute little toddler. You know, I feel like I've just kind of known you my whole life. And whole life. Yes. We go way back and you have lived a pretty incredible life that I would assume has not gone the way that you originally planned. Right. That is that is that is correct. And Carly, it is so great to reconnect with you. I would say way back to high school, junior high, cheerleading. Yep. Summer nights with the top <laughs> down and music loud and sleepovers. And I, I mean, my mom would come to your house on was it Turnaman Lane? Turnaman Lane. That's where I live. Turnaman Lane to get. Um, her haircut by your mom. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we go, we go way back in those Lehigh days. All right. So Sarah, I want you to kind of introduce yourself for those who do not know who you are. Describe who you are in a nutshell. In a nutshell. um, Hello, everyone. I am Sarah Whirlton. I am the youngest of six kids. I am the aunt to 13 nieces and nephews. I'm originally from Lehigh, Utah, but since college, I have lived in England. I have lived in Washington, D.C., and now living in Denver, and I have had um, an interesting career path. Um, In a nutshell, I I love Diet Coke and puppies and camping. (laughs) I have a Diet Coke sitting right here with me, so we share the love. I'm going to get one later today, but yeah, share the love. So yeah, nutshell, I um, am 38. I am never married, no kids, and I have lots of interesting dating stories up and down. And my something interesting about my family is my father passed away when we were all pretty little back in 1985. So yeah. An interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, growing up and, you know, everyone knew that about your family. But as I was thinking yeah. about your story, I was so naive to mm. what you really went through, you know, because by the time that I got to know you, a lot of years had passed. And so yeah. it just kind of was something that it was. But I don't think that I really grasped the impact that that had on your family. So if you yeah. don't mind, I'd love to know your parents' love story and how your family got started. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad met in the summer of 1970, and my mom was visiting my aunt up in Salt Lake at her ward, my Aunt Linda, and she was wearing a cute yellow dress, and <laughs> she was visiting um, her ward, and there was a guy there that was friends with my Aunt Linda, and his name was Don Whirlton. And actually, my mom was going to that ward to to go flirt and visit this other guy she was interested in who was teaching Sunday school. Mm-hmm. They were, um, were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they, so it was the Sunday service, and but that guy wasn't there. And my dad was, and she said when she shook his hand and he said, hi, I'm Don Worlden. Hi, I'm Evie Haslam. She just felt sparks. She just felt in mm. an electric shock of cosmic joy, you know, yeah. going from head to toe. Aww. And she just, she just knew that that was, that was him. And coincidentally, they had both been engaged before and had broken it off for various reasons. And wow. my dad was getting ready later that year to go to dental school in Portland and he didn't want to go alone. And my mom, she had, you know, graduated from college. She was working. And so later that, um, after church, my aunt had said, Hey, why don't you guys come over to my apartment for ice cream? That would be really great. And then she realized she didn't have any ice cream. And my dad (laughs) said, and I quote, the ox is in the mire. I am going to get ice cream, meaning he didn't want to lose any more sight with this yes. hot, you know, this beautiful little woman he had just met. So they had ice cream. They, um, 
he said he floated back to Lehigh with his parents' house. He called her at my aunt's apartment immediately and asked her out. And Mm. then my mom and sister went to Europe for a month just to, um, you know, to go on vacation. And she would send him postcards and different things. And, and, you know, she really just felt like that was, that was the one for her. And so when she got back from Europe, they got engaged the next day and they got married September 10th, um, 1970 in a Salt Lake temple. And so this next September is their 50th wedding anniversary, which is pretty incredible. And so they had a TV, a case of tuna and a satchel of money. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) And they just bombed up to Portland for dental school. And four years later, two of my sisters were born and, um, he had graduated with honors and they moved back to Lehigh. He sets up his practice. Um, and one thing that I really gotten from my dad is just the sense of family. He wanted to be close to his parents and his siblings. And, and, um, a couple years later, a couple more kids came along and that was all of my siblings. And of course me and, um, my dad was a missionary in Germany. And so, and he was really, um, he always liked to learn new languages and he was always, always learning. And so he signed up to take a Russian class over at BYU. And, um, and there was one night that he went over to on a very stormy night on November 12th, 1985. And he wanted to take, you know, he was going over to BYU to take his uh, Russian class. And that was the night that um, he was killed in an, automobile accident due to icy roads. And, and, you know, I was four and I don't really remember anything, but I've talked to my siblings as the years have gone on about that night and what they remember. And for me, it's, I, I, I look at my nieces and nephews who are around four years old or when they were at that time, I'm like, Oh man, if something big happened, that little one would have no clue. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting, but I don't really remember. I have taught people always ask me like, even on junior high, high school, even now, do you remember him at all? That's the number one question. And the answer is not really. Wow. And, and that's kind of a bummer, but it's also opened up this avenue to get to know him through through my mom's story, through his journals, through yeah. the talks that he gave in Sunday services. And it was, and those are like a window into who he was. And those are a delightful, delightful discoveries. Like he loved the Titanic <laughs> and he would take walks like, you know, that road where Lee Adamson lives just on the other side of the block, like, and that's on the corner, there was this guy and like all these neighbors, the Robert's house, and he would go from the Robert's house down to the Peck lane. That's how long the Titanic was. And he would like, oh, match, he like knew. walk it out with us. <laughs> he knew. Yeah. And so he just loved, um, he loved the Titanic and he wrote a talk about the Titanic. And I have since like given, you know, presentations about it, you know, just kind of honoring him and, you know, he loved family. He loved Christmas and traditions. And so keeping his memory alive has been really great. However, there's also things that have come up that have been really hard Hmm. that not the way I planned, like growing up without a dad, it's, have I ever really mourned the loss of him? And I was I was hiking a 14er, which is a big old mountain. There's a lot of them here in Colorado, and it's really tough. And I was hiking up um, out of tree line up to the saddle. And I, Carly, I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. I was so tired. You're and the that elevation was just, was just kicking my trash. And I just said, I need some help. And I felt I had the thought that came to me. Don't look at how far you have to go. Turn around and see how far you've come. Yes. And when I turned around, I just felt this rush. And I find my I found myself really feeling like those who had gone on before me were with me. And I've had mm. other moments like that that I feel like, yeah, he's gone. And that really stinks. And my mom's been a widow for 30 plus years. And, and my dad has 
you know, missed graduations, birthdays, Christmases, but has he though? And my personal belief system is, you know, he's, he's with us. He's so, there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not the way that any of us had planned. No. My mom, especially my mom, but it's, you take what comes and you have a choice of how to react to it. You can throw up your hands and say, I, I give up, I quit. Or you can say, okay, this is my reality. How am I going to make today a good day? And I just have to give amazing kudos to my mom of being able to raise six kids by herself and having the opportunities that we've had growing up. And she just, she gets five gold stars. Yes. An awesome mom. Your mom is incredible. And I remember her as a teenager and, you know, I recognize that she didn't, have her spouse, but you don't know what that's really like when you're a teenager. You just kind of can discount it. And I've thought about exactly. her many times <laughs> since then. Uh, it's it's interesting to me. She hasn't ever remarried. And I don't know if she, did she ever date or did she just say like, this is how I want things to be? You know, growing up, I didn't really think about, oh, mom's going to start dating now. Like I just, that just yeah. didn't cross Honestly, like when we were kids in high school, like that didn't cross my mind. It just was, it's mom and life and life, home life is good. And as I've gotten older and especially like seeing friends who have had that experience that I now have a stepdad, I now have a stepmom and all these other kids kind of in the mix. I, I'm like, mom, did you ever, was that ever a thing? Mm-hmm. And she and she said, I didn't want to merge you kids with another family while you were young. And I couldn't thank her enough. Yeah. Because just all that was going on, adding that level of complication for some families, it works beautifully and that's wonderful. But I'm really glad that she didn't. And now, I mean, she's in her 70s. I don't really talk to her about it. It's just kind of a this is life and I'm good. And she's a grandma and she's really big in family history and teaching my niece flute lessons. So, and and so I don't even think that's a thought in her mind Mm -hmm. at this point, but I would imagine even though she made that decision and she was at peace with that decision. And I think what an incredible sacrifice that she really looked at your kid at at you kids and said, this is what I feel is best for our family. But there had to have been times when she was incredibly lonely through all of that. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I know that she said that uh, the growing up years were busy. Um, Mm -hmm. They were happy. And my mom has a lot of inner strength. And I, and that's something that I really admire about her is she's able to feel a lot of inner strength and inner peace. And I think that has really helped like the moments when she's lonely is she really turns to good books and she really turns to her projects and, you know, she's really big and like serving other, other women in her community who have gone through the same thing, who have um, lost their husbands really quickly and due to accidents or sudden, just sudden death. And um, so I really think that's been a huge blessing for her. Yeah. I think staying busy is so crucial whenever you get in a, yeah. in a funk. It is for me. And I often think even in my own situation, being divorced and not knowing exactly what my future looks like, it is kind of easy when kids are in a busy stage and you're like, I don't have time to have a relationship. I've got all this going on, but you know that yeah. they're going to leave the nest someday and then life looks a little bit different. But uh, your mom yeah. is absolutely incredible. I've thought about her so many thank times, you. her oh, strength thank you. and the love that she continues to have for your father. It seems like that has yeah. never wavered. No, no. And that's been, that's pretty, that's pretty solid. And um, she loves diving into family history and learning about the heritage mm-hmm. and the family that I come from. And so that's been a really cool um place of learning and also of keeping the memories alive. And now I have 13 nieces and nephews. They have two volumes, loud and louder. (laughs) And when they all get together, it is just a zoo, but it's so fun. And we have taken opportunities to teach them about granddaddy Don Mm -hmm. because none of them were alive 
I mean, I was four, so none of them know who he is. And so teaching them about like the games that we play and like who he was and, you know, making sure there's a picture of him in their house. And that's been fun to teach them. Well, let me tell you about your granddad, how cool he was, you know, so Absolutely. that's been cool too. Yeah. So yeah. your siblings, you were four, but your siblings ranged in age from what to what when yeah. he passed? So I was four and my oldest sister was 14. Mm. Okay. So just a young crew. What is their perspective though on things? I would imagine almost mm-hmm. everyone has some memories other than you. Um, yes. So their perspective, um, uh, John was pretty little. He was six and, um, I know that when my mom got the call that he had been in an accident, um, my two guys from her ward, um, Doug Hadfield and Steve Norman, you know, names you never forget. And they came and picked her up and it was this wretched storm, a snowstorm. And my sister was 14. And so she needed to kind of hold down the fort and she and Kate were um, chatting and yeah, Kate just recently told me, told me this story. And my sister, Mary, Shelly, Shelly or Mary, they were at Clear Creek. Did you ever go to Clear Creek? Yes. The the famous fifth grade Utah camp. Yes. Fifth grade overnighter. Right. Exactly. So she was away and she just had a thought that something had gone wrong. And so all of their stories are a little, yeah. Like when, um, you know, Katie and Amy had, you know, some experiences that, you know, they could just kind of sense that something was going on. And Mm -hmm. so they were trying to like comfort each other. And, and I, and my sister, Mary, when she, um, she told me this recently that when she found out that, you know, this was the new reality, she just like made a vow to like, I'm going to be a good kid. I am Mm. going, I don't, she doesn't need any more trouble than she does now. Not that Mary ever was a bad kid, but that was was an added level of consciousness that she didn't want to add any more, any more trouble. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I that like the deep dive into their experience, I some I honestly don't know much more than that because yeah. we focus more on the memories, the blessings, the um I really felt dad with me win the situations. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's been amazing. My sister, she was on study abroad in Spain and she got robbed. And and she just felt my dad with her right then and there. And I've been in situations um, like I felt my dad on top of a mountain when I was couldn't hike it any farther. I was right. like, Dad, you gotta help you gotta help me here. Those reassuring every, moments that he those, is with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's to me, that's everything. And little moments that my dad has, you know, been near encouraging me to help a family member during a hard time, things like that. Or mm-hmm. really feeling like this life just isn't it. And that's brought a tremendous amount of comfort keeping his. Um, so that's kind of what we have focused on in, in the years since. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think yeah. your family is incredible. I mean, all of your Aww, siblings, bless you. their hearts. I, from what I know, they all were good kids and <laughs> didn't yeah. give your mom you know, too much of a hard time. In fact, I yeah. Mean, maybe breaking curfew. And I, yeah, they're just good they're just good kids. And I think that's just a reflection on the home life that my mother was able to create, honestly. And I yeah. don't know how she did it, but yeah. you know, thanks, thanks be to mama dub and good grandparents and relatives around. It's just, yeah. Yeah. They're good. <laughs> definitely so not the way I planned. But, definitely you know, not. You, you, roll, you roll with it. Yep. Yeah. And you guys have rolled with it in the very best way. So oh, thank you. kind of shifting to your life, you know, I remember, this is kind of funny, but I remember you and I making wedding invitations, oh, you know, we would have, <laughs> we'd have crushes on boys and we would write up our, our wedding invitations and plan our mm-hmm. weddings. And this is what life yes. is going to look like, right? 
Oh, thank you for bringing that up. That's hilarious. And yes, I remember doing that. And yeah, we yeah. Did. I remember that too. That's yeah. so funny. So we had it all planned I, out, but life has not turned out for either one of us exactly like we had planned. No. So what, no, what were some of your, your goals or what did you think your life was going to look like in those teenage years as you were approaching adulthood? In those teenage years, um, and just as a side note, that little announcement that you had made, I have that taped inside one of my journals. You do? So I still have it. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. And I just remember who I wanted to marry and who I was just infatuated by and that I'm going to like go to college and I'm going to get married. Mm-hmm. And because, and I'm going to have all of these line, these men line up because that's what happened to my sister's. And when that didn't happen, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. Like all of my siblings went to BYU. I did not. All of them went to BYU study abroad. I did not. All of them went to, um, honestly, a lot of them went to Ivy League and beyond um, grad schools, and I did not. And I had no desire to go to BYU. I had no desire to um, even go to grad school. And my sister served a mission. I didn't. Um, My sister went to law school. No, thank you. I had a sister who went to Oxford. No, thank you. But I, and so there was a lot of comparison. It's like, oh, I'm not following in their path. Is there Mm -hmm. something wrong with me? Yeah. And let me tell you, it took years years, this is like vulnerable time, but years to get over that and to realize that I have my own past, but I, I thought that I would, you know, go to college and get married. And you know, what's funny. I remember sitting in your kitchen talking to your sweet mom, Lynette, and I said, we were talking about what age she thought it was a good age to get married. Mm-hmm. And I remember she said 20. And I think you would, her and her dad had just gone to Los Hermanos for dinner and they just came back. And so <laughs> we were talking about how good the food was. And, and anyway, and your mom said, oh, 20 is a good age to get married. And I thought, yeah, you're a little bit out of high school. It's still a good childbearing year. And well, it turns out 18 years past that, here we are. So, and I just thought, oh yeah, I will definitely have my own, my own family kind of following the same suit as, as my siblings, but nope. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to get caught up in the people that we love and admire. And we think this worked for them. This path was great and their life turned out idealistic. So that's the same path I should follow. I know I did that with my parents. You know, my parents got married. My mom, my, they were both 21. So I thought I have to get married at 21. That is the bewitching hour. If I don't get married by the time I'm 21, then, you know, life is not going to be good. And it was really based on their love story and wanting things to be, you know, how their, how their lives had turned out. And even the fact that they were high school sweethearts, I wanted to have that, you know, I wanted to have that boyfriend in high school and send him on his mission. And then he'd come home and and I'd have this same life as my parents. But we all, like you said, take these different paths and some of it is by our own choices and some of it is just you know how things turn out exactly who we are and we want to have that just that confidence of yeah this is how it's going to be and and you know we do have these these ideas and these dreams and you know, I, in adulthood, I've had dreams and goals that I've aspired to that I honestly thought this is the right time for this. There is yeah. no way that we'll deviate from this. And what I'm talking about is I have always loved to sing and I've always loved to perform. And I was with a vocal coach for a really long time in preparation to um, audition for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Mm-hmm or the choir formerly known as, I don't remember what it's called now, choir in Temple Square. You know what I'm talking about. But, yes. um, and I worked so hard to just nail that audition. And 
because I knew at this point, like, this is my life plan. I'm here in Utah. I'm single. I want to be an ambassador for the church through music. And there is no way that this isn't the plan for me right now. I feel it down in my bones, down in my gut. Yeah. And you had have thought like, this is a, a worthy goal here. Like God should help me achieve this goal because I'm <laughs> doing something good here. Right? Exactly. I thought this is so pure hearted. The intentions yes. are not to get on TV. No way. And the intention is <clears throat> I feel like I'm good enough and I, I'm at a stage in my life that I could dive in and commit to this wholeheartedly. And, you know, the audition process, I won't go all into it, but it's lengthy and mm -hmm. it's not easy. And the paperwork and the endorsements and the audition tapes. And so I put that in and the first year I got absolutely cut. I didn't even make it past the first round. And I thought, all right, well, I'll be back. Yep. And so the year went by and I still was with the same vocal coach and I made it past the first round. And that means the next round is you have to take a music theory test. And I thought, okay, I can do that because this is the right thing for me to do. I knew it. And mm -hmm. I was absolutely like, I just felt I could, I pictured myself up in those seats. I could just, I was there and it was a worthy goal and like the prayers and the, the work. And I mean, I've studied on vacation and it was just insane. And now that I took the test and then weeks later, when you get the results back, um, I absolutely bombed it. Oh. And I was, I was devastated. And the next day it was October general conference. And so every time that the choir came on and those angelic harmonies just mm -hmm. floated through the air, I had to get up and leave. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go stand, I had to go stand outside and I would just sob. Mm. So, but it was a good experience for me to learn how to deal with disappointment and for better or for worse. And right. it was, and looking back, I, what came in instead of that was 10 times better. I have found so many times in life, it's, it's amazing to me how even when we have these great intentions and what we're doing seems like the right path and a good thing to do, I feel like our struggles are so intentional. Every time I, mm. I, I end up in a different place and on a different path, I just know that, that I needed to go through that struggle because I had to learn that specific lesson, you know, or I had to become grateful for things that I wasn't grateful for before. Yeah. Have you felt that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Those, the struggles are what, um, what you can learn the most from. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just the answer, the, the answer, even though those intentions might seem so pure and so on point and the timing just couldn't be better. Sometimes the answer is still no. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be able to get into a place from your core to say, okay, well then now what, what else can I do? And, mm -hmm. and when you let time pass, like those things are really hard to deal with. And sometimes you have to just allow yourself to be sad and, but what comes from that, I feel like is, is growth perspective and you are able to, what really is supposed to come into your life, it will. Yes, very and, much so. I think it's easy. I mean, I shouldn't have this attitude, but I'll admit I have at many times in my life. I'll think like God is working against me. Like, why is the answer no? And why is it turning out this way? Yeah. I tried really hard and I have stopped for the most part, thinking that way, because now I yeah. trust that for whatever reason, I don't see the big picture here. And, and there's a reason why the answer is no. And it is for my good. It is not to punish me. It is not to, mm -hmm. it, it's for my good that, you know, that is what's yep. supposed to happen. And I take great comfort in that. Yeah. And I think that's a good, 
good place to arrive at. A lot of times we, we feel like the things that are bad in our lives are disappointing that, that, you know, God is against us. Mm-hmm. And like, how, how, why did you, my marriage failed? Why didn't I get into the choir? Why am I still single? Like, why did my husband you know, die in a car accident? You know, ex- it's ex- exactly, exactly. And there, when you come to a place of these are moments to learn from and to grow from, and you are able to be of service to others in those exact same veins, people you're able to empathize on a deeper, more sincere level. I'm sure you've met other women who are divorced with, and they're sharing their children with their ex-spouse. I'm sure you know them. And you're able to, what works, what doesn't, do you need to commiserate? Do we need to cry it out? Are you, exactly. can I be supportive to you? Because you find your unique tribe of people. And that's something that my mom has really been able to do is other women in our, in her neighborhood whose husbands have died, you know, like a flash in the night. Mm-hmm. Then she's been able to say, okay, here's how you sell a dental practice. Here's how you deal with funeral arrangements. Here's how you deal with the loneliness. And she has this this verse of scripture that she has on her wall that she'll take the picture out and she'll say, this is now going to hang in your house. And it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And so I really like that that you are leaning not onto what you are understanding because yes. that is so tiny and it's so narrow and it's through a tiny little lens. And so if you just say, I don't really understand this. Like Carly, if you saw my apartment right now, I'm packing it up and I'm like getting ready to move home Are all the pieces in front of me. No, is right. this the way I planned? Not really, but I'm moving forward with faith. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So many times we do just have to move forward with faith. And I love, you know, like you were talking about with your mom and connecting to these other women. One of the greatest blessings that I think we gain through our struggles is that ability to connect to other people in ways that we could never connect to them before. There's no way. Yeah. And and I think that's, and I think that's a gift and it helps us feel less alone. Yes. Very much so. Um, Yeah. In your life, not turning out the way that you thought it would, one thing that you have really um, become engrossed in is charity work. And you've done this for the past 10 years. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. My favorite thing to talk about. So um, I, when I lived in DC, um, um, a group of friends were putting together a humanitarian trip and it was to Guatemala and they were recruiting people from coast to coast. And honestly, I thought the idea sounded stupid. And (laughs) for some reason I'm like, okay, adult EFY goes to Central America. No, thank you. And, but as the times went on, as the weeks went on, I thought, you know, I kind of had a change of heart and I realized that my life was at a crossroads and I needed something a little bit more meaningful. And so I decided to just sign up anyway and I went to Guatemala 10 years ago this last summer, and it was literally the best decision I've ever made. And um, we were with a group called Choice Humanitarian. They're based out of Utah, and they're not affiliated with any religion or political group. They just, you know, they're affiliated with humanity. And they focus on sustainable development projects throughout the world, Um basically teaching a man to fish instead of giving him a fish. Oh, that's cool. And and I have been blessed to go on expeditions with them about once a year um, since 2009. And I wanted to become an expedition leader. And so early on, about in 2010, I took the leadership training program and I've led trips to Guatemala, to Mexico, to Nepal. And last year, Oh, sorry, earlier this summer, I was in Kenya. And it's been an amazing opportunity to really focus on what matters and see people who live in a completely different environment and how they find happiness in their day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. And I am amazed at the lessons that I have learned. And um, 
I mean, you are in the remote villages and sleeping on the ground and showering with a bucket or maybe no shower at all. Or, yeah. And your your bathroom situation is just, and it, let's just say it, it's an adventure. <laughs> and, but you're working side by side on these projects that are going to help them bring themselves out of extreme poverty. And you're helping them, um, you're, you're showing them that you support their vision. And you're working side by side, digging trenches and the pouring, pouring rain, the sweltering heat. And uh, we've built stoves and chicken coops mm. and water cisterns and school desks. And that was one of the most rewarding things um, this last summer is we saw this little schoolhouse in this tiny little village called Sakake. And oh, these kids were sitting on the ground like, I don't know if I were to walk into my class in Sigaleli Elementary and I'm like, there's no desk, there's no yeah. students, bye. But um, they want, so during the week, um, we built a lot of desks and to see and to see the little kids sitting at the desks at the end of the week were, was so rewarding. And it's an ability, it's a, it's, the expeditions that I've been on have been really eye opening of what really what really matters and mm-hmm. and it's human connection it's family it's community it's service it's taking your phone and just throwing it in a bag and forgetting about it for a week yeah and it's so therapeutic and so cleansing and it's kind of a reality check of what are you focusing on so much and one of the things that I found is one of the biggest gifts on expeditions is I would you know is a leader or as a participant go into this village and I would be really upset about a guy that I had a crush on or <laughs> that I just broken up with or I, or like my job was bugging me or mm-hmm. something like that. But then about day two, day three, I would forget the guy's name. Really? I would, I would forget what his face looked like. I, or someone would ask me, what company do you work for? And I had to stop and really think about it. Wow. Cause you were and so engrossed just- in the work and what, you were doing there and what really was, mattered. Yeah, I was completely unplugged. I'd be like, oh, what was his name? Nah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, and it, you're able to connect with people who you don't care what their job is or their status or whatever. They're just a human being. And yeah. you don't care what kind of fancy phone they have huh. or what car they drive you're playing a game at Uno and you're talking about whatever. And wow. you suddenly, the playing field becomes equalized. Yeah. And it's kind of this magical thing. And you see projects kind of move along and you communicate beyond the language barrier. And it's actually turned into a invitation for me um, to speak to more groups about it. I, I spoke to a group about it earlier this year and it was just one of the best moments of my life. And so um, I really like to talk to organizations about how the village approach can really help their company culture and their organization just become a little more unified. Yeah. And so that's been, and I love the, I love the, the evening of the playing field. I hate in our society where it's, we have this hierarchy of, you know, Oh, you're better because you drive a nicer car or live in a bigger house or you're more educated or whatever it is. You're the big boss. I really like getting down to that level where we're all just people. We're all just trying to make it. That's a beautiful thing. Yes. And we're all just here. We're all just here to help and to see one of the most impressive things that I saw in Kenya were the women and they are the most, they are the strongest women that I've seen. And, you know, every time this gal named Naomi would see me, like, I don't speak Swahili. Turns out I can <laughs> say hello. I can say Jambo and, and Asante Sana and Akuna Matata, but that's about it. So I, every time she would see me, she would shimmy her shoulders like we were dancing and I would shimmy back. <laughs> and it was like, we're saying, Hey girl, I see you. Yes. Hey girl, I see you too. And it was just fun. And they would take their gallons of water that would weigh uh, probably like 45 pounds, pop it on their head, balance Whoa. it and then take off. Wow. And I, I'm like, okay, how heavy is this really? And so I tried to pick it up and I could carry it maybe 10 feet. So mm-hmm. 
just the strength that you see and, and, you know, being able to be there as a leader with an organization that I absolutely love and would do, would do anything for it, like their family. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been something that I wasn't expecting to happen. Um, well, and you have had to have had thoughts at times where it's like, if your life had not had turned out any other way, you would probably never have those experiences. And yeah, and that, that's terrifying because it's interesting that we want things to happen so bad. Like I worked so hard on that Tabernacle Choir mm-hmm. audition and I wanted it so bad. And the repercussions of getting getting cut and literally bombing music theory, I was devastated for, I'm going to say two years. Yeah. And, and that really sucks. But the same time, this one little decision of, Hey, I should go on this expedition. And you're just kind of like surrendering to the flow of the universe. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, the blessings, the opportunities, the people, the opportunities to travel are still happening. So that tells me that life kind of turns out the way it should. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you just have to surrender to it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really scary sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It can be, but you know, you got to just go through the adventure. Yeah. And choice goes on expeditions all throughout the world all year long. And it's a great organization. So you, another thing that you have started that I absolutely love is a podcast called Are You Happy in Your Heart? Can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Yes, absolutely. So my podcast is um, inspired by, um, well, my time in Guatemala. And we are in the, uh, when the villages that I've been to for the past 10 years are up in the mountains where the Mayan Kekchi tribes live. It's an area called the Polo Cheek Valley. And there they, some of them speak Spanish, but most of them speak Kekchi. And how you say hello is instead of hola como estas, they would say masalacho. And the literal translation of that phrase is, are you happy in your heart? Oh, and yeah, I love I mean, that. It's just all, all, all the feels. And so that really struck me. And last year or earlier this year, when I was asked to give a presentation about my humanitarian work, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to title this? What do I want to, you know, what do I want this to be all about? And I decided to title it, are you happy in your heart? Cause that's a really interesting question. Like, are you happy? Like, did you just like go through a drive through and say supersize happiness or add, you know, an extra espresso shot of happiness, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's, we sometimes think about happiness in high spikes and like, that's kind of it. But when I ask that question, are you happy in your heart? It's like, are you really, what's really going on? How, what are, what are things in your life that are, you are, your happiness is sustainable. And that's really kind of a tricky question. So my podcast is interviewing people who have been through hardships in life and how that has shaped their happiness and how that has um, helped them define their happiness. And I've interviewed people who have, um, have seizures or have their spouses die in a plane crash or, um, I just interviewed a guy yesterday who was bullied as a child and he has Asperger's syndrome and going into theater saved his life and hmm. um, interviewing people who um, their, their children have died and, and how, what happiness really means to them and what doesn't it mean. And so I really, it's really been a fun little adventure um, to, to interview people on something that we all want, we all crave. And if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. And really, um, really what it means, what it means to them. And it's kind of an honor to, you know, my humanitarian work, um, because that's also the name of my presentation is like, are you happy in your heart? And sometimes it's okay to say no. Like right now, I'm just working through some stuff that I really just need to um, get back to center. Like it's not all sunshine and scales all the time, right? Yeah, but and that's okay. That's okay. And that and that's 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 perfectly okay. That's perfectly normal. And sometimes things are just really scary. But what I found is when I ask them, 
at the end of every episode, I say, fill in the blank, happiness is and happiness is not. Hmm. And when I say happiness is, they usually say it's the little things or it's the moments of a snowstorm on a beautiful Christmas morning or something that none of them say it's new Jimmy Choo shoes. (laughs) Never. Great. But I know. And how often do we fool ourselves into thinking if I get this new dining room table, I'm going to be happy if I, you know, it's so silly that we fool ourselves into thinking that those type of things will make us happy because they never do. If they do, it's so momentarily and then it's gone. It's so, yeah. And when you're finding things that last and they're in helping others, Mm -hmm. they're enjoying the present moment. They're saying things don't go as planned and, and, and that's okay. So funny story real fast about things not going as planned Um, I always wanted to go to Nepal. I would been like aching to go to Nepal for such a long, for such a long time. And I'd been campaigning pretty hard with choice to say, it's my turn. I am a good leader. You need to send me to Nepal. And so, um, you know, different things had happened. And all of a sudden it was, I was on the roster to go to Nepal on Christmas to lead a trip. And I just was ecstatic and it was a very long flight to get there. And my co-leader was awesome. And we were just like, this is going to be amazing. I'm finally, I'm here. I had planned that this expedition was going to top them all. And first day in the village, I fell in a trench and I tore my ACL. (laughs) And I was in a third world village. I was very far away from Kathmandu and all this, and I was one of the leaders and it was day one. And all of a sudden I couldn't move. Yeah. And I thought, wait, what? I was so embarrassed. I was literally had to be lifted out and taken down to my sleeping bag. And I was so mad. I was so embarrassed. I was like, am I going to have to go home? I can't move my knee. And I just allowed myself to kind of sit and wallow just for a minute because let's be honest, the pain meds just knocked me out, but (laughs) I couldn't really do much. And I had, I was like, okay, I am a leader here and I am in this village anyway. And so what can you do? Right. You know, I said, and that was a hard place to come to. It was kind of all of a painful blur, but I said, I am going to do what I can. I'm going to have great conversations with people because I can't go work in the ditch in the, in, in the, on the construction site. I'm going to make sure that the little kids that are in this village that I play with them, I'm going to have play card games. I'm going to make sure that my, my expeditioners are doing okay. And I'm going to go up to the work site and try to cheer them on. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it really hard. And um, the men in the village took a tree branch and they, cut it down, carved it, wrapped a band down around the top. And there was my walking stick. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was amazing. And now that walking stick sits in my fire near my fireplace mm. as one of my most cherished items that I own Yeah, because it's a symbol that when things don't go as planned, it's going to happen just plain and simple, but you have a choice whether or not you can just throw up your hands and say, screw it. I'm just going to sleep until it's time to fly home Mm -hmm. or you're going to allow people to help you and you're going to just make the most of it. And it was, it was really hard. And then flying home with a swollen knee and I mean, it was awful, but at the same time, the beauty that was interwoven in through all that is an army of people wanted to help. And I, I thought, yeah, you know, you can, I need help. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yep. Come on over. (laughs) Because in that moment I was, I needed it. And oftentimes when someone says, Hey Carly, is there anything I can do? No, I'm fine. Exactly. Yeah. We're so reluctant to accept that help, but we need to be better at that because you know, it just, you end up helping the people that are helping you and things work out. For the best, like you helped those people in a way that you couldn't have had 
you not turn your ACL? You know, if, had you not yeah, turned your yeah. ACL, maybe you would not be playing cards with the little kid or whatever, you know? So exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and by allowing other people to help me, I was able to say, Oh, this world that we're living in is a little less lonely. It's a little yeah. less alone. We are, we're not when people, you know, when I came home and people were like, Hey, how was Nepal? I would say, I can't really, really talk about it yet. But once I kind of like sorted and like emotionally sorted all through it, I made a list of every, since my little like tumble in a trench, the little, you know, it was outside of Kathmandu in that moment we call a Kathmandu don't. Um, <laughs> I was, I was able, I made a list of everyone who had helped me and just cause I wanted to write it down on paper. And I was amazed at how many people I had written down people who said, you know, can I come like bring you groceries or can I give you a ride somewhere or it just whatever it was. And the list was astounding. And I thought, wow. And it makes you, I don't know. It just, it feels nice to know that you're not alone when you know, crappy things happen in foreign countries. <laughs> and I think it's a beautiful thing finding gratitude that maybe you wouldn't have reflected on any other way. I started a exactly practice mm -hmm. here recently where every day I'll write down five things that I'm grateful for. And I try to focus on not the big things, not, you know, of course I'm grateful for my children and my job and those bigger things. I'm very grateful for them, but I try to find some of the smaller things to find gratitude in like, I'm grateful that I have money to make spaghetti tonight. And that's what sounded good. And so I'm grateful that I had the means to do that, you know, or I'm grateful mm -hmm. for my super comfy bed because it's cold outside and I'm all snuggled up. And I think mm -hmm. when you reflect on, you know, if, if all of us looked at the people that help us throughout the day or show kindness, we would, if we wrote that down, we would be astounded, I think, at... Yeah. Those little generous acts, you know? Absolutely. And, gra and gratitude has a way of shifting the game. Yes, so and much. Cal and calming our hearts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was talking with a friend once and she was just going on about some guy and just, gee, she would, the smoke was just coming out of her ears. <laughs> and, and I finally said, tell me three things you're grateful for right now. Yeah. And I kind of got in her face and I didn't, I'm like, she might be mad at me and tell me to go jump off a bridge. But I was like, I don't care. I'm going to see if this works. And immediately her face softened and she took a deep breath and she told me three things she was grateful for. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely just changed the game. Yeah. And sometimes that's really hard to do, but it's like, I'm grateful that I have um, this comfy bed or I'm grateful that when I breathe in and out that I can breathe through my nose. Something that simple. Yes, yes. That I'm alive today or, you know, I have a, a friend that just went through something really difficult and, and they felt like they had lost everything. And I was like, well, I'm here. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to you. So you haven't mm -hmm. lost everything. You've got someone that's by your side, you know? So just yep. recognizing those little things, it is such a game changer. I would encourage anyone to do that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I love your mission. I love the work that you do is so Thank inspiring you. and I, and your Thank brand you with your podcast, are you happy in your Thank heart? You. It it works so hand in hand with my mission of, yes. you know, my, my whole mission is I trying to find joy when life leaves you in a place that you never thought you'd be. And, and I love that. And so it's I would encourage anyone that if, if you like this podcast or you need to find that happiness in your heart, go check that out. So where can people find you? Sure. Um, and thank you. And I love how our, our podcasts kind of coincide with, do. um, finding joy when life is hard. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so my podcast, are you happy in your heart is on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Podbean, and sarahjworlton.com. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. <laughs>